Thank you, Pastor Holly. I'm telling you, the apple does not fall far from the tree. Her mother is one of the top trainers in the United States today, Tracy Morrow from our own church family here. And that uh, exercise leads perfectly uh, into our theme verse for the morning. Hebrews 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's great to see a Purpose Church. It's so good to be together. Now, I want to give you a warning. Today, I may be preaching my least popular sermon of the year. Uh, now, in seminary, they taught you that if you're preaching an unpopular sermon, you should show cute animal videos before you get into it. Uh, actually, they never said that in seminary. It's just something I came up with on my own. So let's take a break from our pandemic memes. And uh, here is a video we put together entitled, How Dogs Deal with the Heat. Let's watch this. Don't you feel all happy inside? Uh, now here comes my unpopular sermon on, drumroll, ready for it? Submission. Submission. You know, the problem when you go verse by verse through a book of the Bible, like we're doing this summer in 1 Peter, is you just take what comes next. And that way you don't avoid subjects you don't like, and you don't just always dwell on subjects you do like. You take what God gives us. I was whining to my son John about preaching on submission uh, yesterday. Uh, John uh, is going verse by verse with his church. Uh, he's pastoring and preaching to a church in Cajamarca, Peru. And he's doing it virtually online as well. And uh, he's going verse by verse through the book of Mark. And he said, Dad, quit your whining. I have to preach on tithing tomorrow. He said, how would you like to preach on tithing to a poor congregation in Cajamarca, Peru, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a recession? And I said, okay, John, I will quit, quit complaining by comparison. Submission doesn't sound so bad. Uh, we're continuing our uh, summer series entitled Living Hope. It's based on the book of 1 Peter. And last Sunday, Pastor Eric just preached a tremendous message. I encourage you to go back and listen to it if you missed it. It was a total roadmap showing us as a church how we can lead the way during the tumultuous second half of the year 2020. And a few days ago, I can see how God has been working through uh, Pastor Eric. Uh, just a few days ago, I, our, we live right on the south side of Lincoln Park, right here in Pomona, about a mile from the church here. And I come out my front door, and there's uh, two of our top leaders here at our church over the 27 years that I've been pastor here. Here are two of our top leaders sitting on lounge chairs in Lincoln Park, right in front of my house. And one of them is black and one of them is white. 
And uh, so I asked them, I said, what are you guys up to? And they said, well, Glenn, uh, we've been friends for over 30 years, and we've never had a frank discussion on race and racism. And so Pastor Eric told us to do this, and so we're doing it. Man, that just sounds like a Jesus thing, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like Jesus is on the move? Uh, that, that, that could have been Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector sitting on uh, lounge chairs in front uh, of my house discussing things, getting to know each other, listening to each other because Jesus is the one that brought them together and Jesus is the one that told them to do it. The title of today's message is The Power of Submission. And it's based on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. Now you can see the trajectory of my sermons uh, from uh, 1 Peter, can't you? Uh, we started with hope. That was good. Woohoo. Uh, then we covered holiness. Uh, okay. Today, submission. And just wait till you see what we have in store for next, for next Sunday. But you know why I, I don't worry about that in the least? Do you know who is online with me right now? Uh, there you are in your living rooms, or there you are at your computer or on your phone. Do you know who's with me right now in the middle of the summer on July 19th? The spiritual Marines. That's who's with me. You are the hardcore. You don't get any more middle of summer. Maybe, uh, I guess, January 15th or 16th, but Jan July 15th or 16th, but July 19th, that's about as in the middle of the summer as you can get. I've got the creme de la creme. I've got the hardcore. I've got the spiritual Marines. You're just sitting there saying, submission, bring it on, Pastor Glenn. I can't wait to hear this. That's my favorite subject. Now, submission is not a popular word in our culture. Uh, it's not a popular word. I learned a new application of that word a few years ago. Uh, pastor Josh Hoosman, he was our junior high pastor. He was also our uh, young adult pastor for many years. And then he went and planted a church called Mercy Road in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. And that has now grown uh, over the last few years. It has grown to 20 churches. That one church has now planted 19 other churches. To, from our spiritual investment, our church, you, uh, Purpose Church, investing in that young man's life and his dream, that leader from our church, has now grown in just a few years to 20 churches that are in Indiana right now. And so once a year, uh, Pastor Josh has me to come out and, and to preach. Uh, for him. And each time when I go out, he tries to show me a good time as best he can in the state of Indiana. So one year he takes me to an NFL game of the Indianapolis Colts. Another uh, year he took me to an NBA game for the Indiana Pacers. Um, uh, another uh, year, uh, last year as a matter of the last time I went there, it, literally they had a professional Christian WrestleMania event right in his own worship center a Christian WrestleMania event, and, and so I went to that. And then a few years ago, he said, Glenn, how would you like to go to a fight on Saturday night? Well, I am always up for a fight on Saturday night. I mean, my name's Glenn Gunderson. I'm up for a fight on Saturday night. And I thought he meant boxing. And he says, yeah, our associate pastor is fighting in Kokomo, Indiana. And so that night we drove through literally an hour of cornfields north of Indianapolis. Um, there is nothing but cornfields between Indianapolis and Kokomo. 
and we pull up to the National Guard Armory in Kokomo, Indiana. And it is the roughest crowd going into this event that I've ever been a part of. I mean, it was a scary group. It looked like the bar uh, from Star Wars. As a matter of fact, here's a picture I took from inside the armory. Actually, that's not true. This is literally the bar uh, from Star Wars. And, And we get in there, and I realize this is not a boxing event. This is a cage fighting event. We are going to a cage fight on a Saturday night. And then, to my surprise, we're, we're sitting there, and the MC gets up and goes, are you ready to rumble? And everybody's like, ah, you know, and he says, but before we do, let's stand up and commit the evening to the Lord in prayer. I kid you not. Josh leans over to me and whispers, I bet you didn't see that one coming, <laughs> and I did not. And then later in the event, they say, and now representing Mercy, Church, Mercy Road Church, and, and their associate pastor comes out. And he defeats his opponent in literally 10 seconds. The other guy, what they call taps out. And another word I learned for tapping out, um, giving up, being defeated, is the word submission. He caused his opponent to submit. He caused him to go into submission. It means humbled, even humiliated, uh, beaten down into submission. And so you can see why this is not a popular word in our culture today, which is so obsessed with self-fulfillment and resists any authority that stands in the way of that personal fulfillment. But God says that there is tremendous power and blessing in the right kind of submission. Uh, Later on in Peter, he writes 1 Peter 5 verse 6, "'Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand,' that he may lift you up in due time. Miles Monroe, who's an, an, uh, an evangelist from the Bahamas, he writes, submission is the willingness to give up our right to ourselves, to freely surrender our insistence on having our own way all the time. K.P. Yohannan, who's a church leader from India, says the spirit of submission is choosing his way over ours for his sake. Now, I know like me, you're thinking, so far so good. Submitting to God, yay. Submitting to Jesus, I'm into that. Okay, here's the main idea that Peter is going to lead us in in this passage. Now is where it gets hard. The way we learn to submit to God's authority in our lives is by submitting to human authority in our lives. Oh no. Now it gets hard. There's that old-fashioned poem, to dwell above with saints above, oh that will be glory. To dwell below with saints below, well that's another story. (laughs) To submit to God or to Jesus, awesome. Submitting to President Trump or Governor Newsom or Mayor Sandoval or law enforcement or your boss at work, or your teacher at school, or your husband, or your wife, or your mom, or your dad, or your fellow Christian, submitting to them, not so awesome. Submitting to God, awesome. Submitting to human authorities in our life, not so awesome. Warren Wearsby writes, submission does not mean slavery or subjugation. 
but simply the recognition of God's authority in our lives. God wants each of us to exercise authority, but before we can exercise authority, we must be under authority. Satan's offer to our first parents, Adam and Eve, was freedom without authority, but they ended up losing both freedom and authority. I have found in my life that the best leaders who handle authority the most effectively are the ones who are also good at being under authority. The best ones at handling authority are those that are also best at being under authority. One of the mysteries of our church, and I'm going to say this and it's going to sound like false humility, I completely believe what I'm about to say right now. I completely believe this. It's not false humility. It's just how I see things. Our pastoral leadership team here at Purpose Church and our staff here at Purpose Church is the best one I've ever encountered. I mean, I'd put it up against any church staff, any pastoral leadership team in America. It's it's the best I know. But I am not the best senior pastor that I know. We have the best staff, the best pastoral leadership team that I know, but I am not the best senior pastor that I know. So how does that work? How am I not threatened by that? Because they are great at exercising authority because our team is also great at being under authority. The reason they're so effective at exercising authority is because they are so good at being under authority. And that's why I am not threatened by a staff and a leadership team that is more gifted uh, than myself. Uh, Chris Brown was a pastor at our church for 10 years uh, here at our church. And he was a person of uh, just tremendous giftedness, uh, way beyond my giftedness. And uh, one night he was out to dinner with several couples from our church. I can tell this story because they are now with the Lord in heaven, except for Chris. He's still here. And uh, he and Amy, his wife, are out to dinner with them. And uh, there were some controversial things I was leading the, the church through at that particular time. And so about a half an hour into the dinner, they start to criticize me and, and, and criticize the direction I was taking the church. And Chris, you know, right in the middle of the meal goes, oh, oh, I am so sorry. If that's the way the conversation's going to go, uh, I, Amy and I just can't stay. I'm so sorry, but we're going to have to leave. And he, he said his wife, Amy, she was so embarrassed by this. She had her, her hand, her, her fingernails in his knee, and she, she gripped him so hard, he began to draw blood. She was so embarrassed under the table. And the other couples go, oh, 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 we're sorry. No, 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 we won't talk about that anymore. And Chris goes, oh, okay, great. And they go back and continue uh, the meal. He is tremendous at exercising authority because he was also good at being under authority. Now, one disclaimer uh, as we talk about submission that I want to make is that there are plenty of exceptions to what I am teaching from 1 Peter uh, today. There, there, There are plenty of exceptions. As a matter of fact, Peter himself that's going to write these words about submitting to institutions in Acts chapter 5 verse 29 Peter and the other apostles replied uh, to the authorities that he's going to tell us that we need to obey, we must obey God rather than human beings. So here's Peter disobeying the authorities that he's about to tell us in this passage we are to obey. So obviously, there are exceptions to this rule. But there is a rule. There are exceptions to the rule, 
And yet there is a rule that Peter's going to teach us. And back to the main idea one time, or time. The main idea, the big idea. The way we learn to submit to God's authority in our lives is by submitting to human authority within our lives. Now, the first place we learn this is as children and in our youth. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And honor your father and mother. Uh, he's saying, if you learn to submit to the, er the authority God has placed in your life, early in life, which is your, your parents, and of course, not talking about if they tell you to not obey God or, or not follow God. It's not talking about if there's abuse of, involved. But in, in most care, there are exceptions to the rule. But the rule is, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. If you learn to obey the authority of God by learning to obey the authority that God first places in your life as a child and in your youth, it will unleash tremendous blessing, tremendous power within your life. And then he points out particularly to dads, and this would be to moms too, but particularly he talks to the dads. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You're saying, dads, don't be so heavy-handed on this. Don't overdo this so that they rebel against it. Be the kind of father that your children want to obey. Uh, that is the greatest challenge for us as moms and dads. Be the kind of parent that our children want to obey because if they learn to submit to authority in their lives, it opens up tremendous blessing within their lives. Be the kind of father that your children want to obey. I had a dad like that. Nobody was easier to obey than my mom and dad. But I still struggled with submission. I had tremendous struggles with submission. Uh, Monday through Friday was school, Sunday was church, and Saturday was the day when I did whatever my dad wanted me to do. Saturday was the day, whatever he wanted, that's what I did. And so I spent Saturdays riding the tractor, or logging, or watering trees, or trimming trees, or pushing a lawnmower, uh, taking care of the cows, whatever he wanted me to do, that's what I did. And I chafed under that submission. I struggled with that. Uh, I was supposed to run 10 miles every Saturday uh, for track. And he would never release me on time with enough daylight to get those 10 miles in. And it just annoyed me so much. But one day I figured out a way to get him back. He let me go with about 15 minutes of daylight. I'm supposed to run 10 miles. And so what I did is I skipped supper and ran 10 miles in the dark. And the wrath of my mother came down upon him. And he never, he never did that uh, again. I remember one day we were tattooing the ears of a calf. And he was tattooing the ear of the calf. And I was to hold on to the calf. And the calf was just stomping with his hooves all around my feet. And it was in the middle of track season. And I was so annoyed because I'm like, it, one stomp of that hoof on the top of my foot, and my track season's over. And I was so annoyed at my dad. Um, and yet I submitted in that situation. Uh, you know, I would give anything now to go back and have one of those Saturdays with my dad. Here's why. I thought I was wasting my time. As a young adult, as a teenager, uh, in high school, I thought those Saturdays 
was wasting my time. But instead, I was learning, I was practicing how to submit to God's authority in my life. And I am so, so glad for learning that uh, during that stage of my life. It has unleashed tremendous blessing within my life, and it'll do the same for you as well. Hebrews 12, verse 9, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Do you want to know how to really live? Submit to God, and you, that will be real living. That'll be real life. Now we come to the central section of 1 Peter, uh, which is the era where we learn submission in the life of the believer. As a citizen, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. As a worker, in chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Uh, as a marriage partner, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. As a member of God's family, in chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Now, with the remainder of our time here, let's talk about three motivations for the submitted life. Three motivations for the life of submission. Number one, for the sake of the loss. First uh, Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Uh, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, why do they accuse us of doing wrong? Because we do wrong things. <laughs> they, they've got ammunition. Why do they accuse us of doing wrong? Because we do wrong things in the history of the church, in the past, and in the present. Uh, but what Peter's saying here is keep our wrongdoing. We're not perfect people. We're just forgiven people. We have faults. We have flaws. Keep it to a minimum because people will use it as an excuse to not follow Jesus. Peter is saying, make sure most of the criticism that comes our way is unfair criticism and not legitimate criticism. For example, the early church had a lot of unfair criticism. There were many false rumors about the early church in the Roman Empire. Uh, one of them was that the uh, Christians were atheists. That was the rumor in the Roman Empire. Because they didn't believe in the Roman gods, they didn't think they believed in any god, and so they called them atheists. Another rumor uh, in the Roman Empire was that the uh, followers, the early followers of Christ were cannibals uh, because they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And so because uh, they heard that they uh, ate the blood and body of, of Christ, uh, they spread the rumor that they were cannibals. Now this is what has happened uh, in the present and in the past is it's almost as if people use uh, binoculars uh, on followers of Christ in the past uh, and in the, in the present. And that is, they take binoculars, you know, if you look at them the right way, they make things that are small and far away seem big and up close. They magnify uh, how big things are from a distance. But if you flip them around the other way, they make things that are big and close seem tiny and far away. That is, they demagnify certain things, depending on this magnifies it, this demagnifies it. And so uh, people have been doing this uh, to Christians. They do it today, magnify the things that we do wrong, demagnify the things that we do right. And the same thing is true in, in history. 
uh, the history of the church, the, uh, the history of the body of Christ. They will magnify the things we do wrong and demagnify the things that we do right. You, you would think from hearing some people speak that the only thing Christians have been doing for the past 2,000 years is the Salem witch trials. You would think, by the number of movies on it and the number of tension on it, uh, you would think the only thing we've been up to for 2,000 years is the Salem witch trials. And, and, and uh, you say, boy, that must have been really, really bad. I mean, how many people do you guess were sentenced to death in the Salem witch trials? It, you know, because of the attention on it, it must be 100,000, right? 19. 19 people were sentenced to death in the Salem Witch trials. Now that's terrible, and that's 19 too many, and that's a horrible thing. But 19, let's put that in context. Just three atheists, Stalin, Hitler, and Mao, killed over a hundred million people between 1925 and 1976. And that doesn't include the millions of people that were killed by other atheists like Lenin, Khrushchev, Brezhnev. Paul Pot in Cambodia, Haksa in Albania, Ceausescu in Romania, Castro and Kim Jong-il. And then they proceed to ignore uh, the positive contributions of Christ followers through history, like starting modern medicine, healthcare, education, science, uh, charities, and the whole concept of compassion uh, for those in need, which was non-existent in the Roman Empire before Jesus came and the followers of Jesus began to put into practice uh, his teachings. And the same thing happens today. Uh, you would think that the only churches in America today are the Westboro Baptist Church. And if you've never read about them, if you want to lose your appetite, um, wait, wait until after lunch to read about them because you'll lose your appetite for lunch. The Westboro Baptist Church, which has, you would think, it must be, with the attention it's gotten, you would think it must be the biggest church in America. It has 70 members. It probably has 35 people show up on a Sunday. Uh, or the Grace Baptist Church in Troy, New York, which we've heard about uh, recently. And again, you'd think the attention it's gotten, that would be the biggest church in America. It, again, has 70 people in their church. Uh, this is what they were in the news about uh, recently. A few Sundays ago, they had a win a free AR-15. Basically, it's semi-automatic. It's basically a machine gun. By showing up to church a few weeks ago, they're in Troy, New York, not too far from Homer, New York, where I pastored for years. If you were to show up to the church service in violation of the local codes with regard to COVID-19, you can win a gun in order to defend yourself for your right to, uh, to assemble. Now, I'm from Virginia, but something inside of me tells that's not the best way to connect with your community to hand out guns uh, to disobey a local, local ordinance. But again, uh, you hear about churches like that and you'll never hear a word about uh, the thousands of people that a church like Purpose Church will help just this year locally and all around the world. And, and I think to myself, and I bet you do too, it's just so unfair that, that's just unfair. Um, you know what Peter would say to me? Peter would say, Glenn, stop whining and give them as little ammunition as possible. Glenn, stop your whining and give them as little ammunition as possible. Because Glenn, you're a jerk and you give them plenty of ammunition. 
Keep it to a minimum. Now, let me say a word to those of you uh, that are considering following Christ. Please don't let the faults and flaws of Christians keep you from following Jesus. Yes, we are imperfect. Yes, we've made mistakes in the past, in history, and we continue to make mistakes today. Don't let our mistakes, our wrongdoing, keep you from following Jesus, keep you out of heaven. Don't do that, okay? Don't let that happen. Um, Hell and heaven are eternal. Don't let our flaws keep you from eternity in heaven. Now a word to those of you who are following Christ. Let's live such winsome and good lives that there are few barriers to others and that we will draw people to Jesus because of our love for each other and our love for those that are not yet following Jesus. And all God's family, wherever you are, said, Amen. And then the second thing, the second motivation for living a, a submitted life is for the Lord's sake. He says in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority. Now remember the emperor at this time was no great guy. It was Nero, considered the most evil leader that has ever led anything. Uh, Nero, uh, he, he's the one that would later execute Peter. Two years later. So basically, what Peter's saying is here is submit to Nero, who will be the guy that's going to kill me, execute me in, in a couple of years. And then on uh, to the next verse, uh, he says, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Isn't it amazing that on the Sunday when we are feeling frustrated at the governor's decision on Monday to not let us uh, have indoor services, and, and, and maybe you're feeling that frustration like I am, but isn't it just amazing that the Sunday that we're studying uh, right after he calls on us to make that decision, it specifically says, submit to the governors. Is that, is that awesome or, or, or what? And then it says to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. He's talking here about law enforcement. And last Sunday, Pastor Eric gave just a beautiful tribute to law enforcement. He had, there was a, 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 law, a person in law enforcement and his spouse, his wife, they were visiting our church last Sunday from out of town. And she, the wife, came up to him with tears in her eyes, thanking him for what he said, she says, I've never heard anybody say anything like that. Thank you. It has been such a blessing and such an encouragement. And then last week, uh, Pastor Tomiko sent a bunch of letters from our staff to encourage the Pomona Police Department. And uh, this was all done in order to be obedient uh, to this verse. And then continuing with verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. We're free. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor uh, the emperor. Now, this is the rule. But as I said, there are exceptions to the rule. Uh, Warren Wearsby writes, it is possible to submit to the institutions and still disobey the laws. Now, I want to give you a homework assignment. 
Look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 16. And, and ask yourself the question, either in your personal devotions or with your life group, ask yourself the question, how can we disobey the law and yet still uh, honor and submit uh, to the institutions? And then number three, uh, for our own sake, a third motivation for um, submitted living, a life of submission, is for our own sake. First Peter 2, verse 18 he says, slaves, oh my goodness, this is quite a passage, isn't it? Submission, uh, now the issue of slavery. Let me just take a quick detour here. Uh, slavery in the Bible uh, contains the seeds that has always destroyed slavery whenever it is correctly preached. Whenever the Bible is correctly preached, it has always destroyed the institution of slavery. And the key to that is correctly preached and not uh, with a cultural bias. Uh, one entire book of the Bible, Philemon, is basically an anti-slavery manifesto if you preach it correctly. Uh, the gospel eventually overthrew the Roman Empire and the institution of slavery. Uh, God used Christians like uh, William Wilberforce uh, to eradicate slavery in the entire British Empire. And God used Christ followers like Frederick Douglass. What an amazing story. He uh, was a runaway slave. And at the age of 13, he radically got saved. You should read his testimony of how he came to Christ. It was, it's such a beautiful thing. And then God used him to defeat uh, the institution of slavery in the United States. Now, here is the, the mystery and the great evil with regard to to slavery in, in the history of our country. It, it's a mystery, and it's a great evil. How could some Christians at that time use the Bible to eliminate slavery, like Frederick Douglass did, and others use the same Bible to defend slavery? It's just a mystery. Uh, Frederick Douglass ripped Christians who used the Bible to support slavery. He accused slaveholders of wickedness, lack of morality, and failure to follow the golden rule. He considered religious slaveholders and clergymen, pastors who defended slavery as the most brutal, sinful, and cynical of all who represented wolves in sheep's clothing. He sharply criticized the attitude of religious people who kept silent about slavery and held that religious ministers committed a blasphemy when they taught it as sanctioned by religion and were an abomination in the sight of God. Now, here's the haunting question. I don't think we should spend all that much time condemning Christians of the past. I think we should spend our energy asking ourselves this question. What will future generations of Christians say about our generation of Christ followers? In the same way, we look back and say, how could they take this book and justify those things? Ask ourselves the questions. What will future generation of Christians look at us and say, what were, what were they thinking? Um, talk about this over lunch. Talk about this in your life groups. What, what do you think it might be? Let me give you a couple of possibilities, just from, just from my perspective, Okay. Two, I'll give you two possibilities. Number one, racism. Just like we've been talking about the last few weeks. I mean, future generations of Christians may look and say, with all the people following Jesus 
in America over these years? How is this still an issue? How, how is this still a problem uh, for, for us? It might be racism. Let me give you a second possibility. Abortion. Now let me do a disclaimer. There are thousands of people watching me right now. Okay, Across the country, around the world. Uh, thousands. And I know within a group that size there are many who have either had an abortion or maybe paid for a girlfriend to to have an abortion, um, and God's grace and God's love, God loves you in the same way he has forgiven me for things in my life, he will forgive you for that in your life. God's mercy and grace is just amazing. And yet, let me say uh, that maybe future generations will say, how did they let this go on so long? What could be more misogynist than over a thousand females aborted in America every day. What could be more racist than over a thousand minorities aborted in America every day? Okay, let's finish our passage. Uh, the slavery in the Roman Empire was very different than American slavery. It was more like an employer-employee relationship than a master-slave relationship. Edwin Blum writes, it is difficult for 20th century Christians to understand the slavery of the ancient world because the time of the New Testament writings, slavery was not as bad or as evil as that practiced in America before the Civil War. Ancient slaves had fairly normal marital lives. Often people sold themselves into slavery for a period of time as a way to get ahead in the world. Nevertheless, the lot of a slave could be very hard if the master was unkind. And in the same way, the life of an employee can be very hard if the employer is unkind. So here's another assignment for your personal Bible reading or for uh, your life group. Read through 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 20, and ask the question, how does this apply to your relationship at work? Now, remember the exceptions. If your boss treats you like this, if your boss beats you at work when you make a mistake, you should find a new job, but people in the first century didn't have as much flexibility as sometimes we have today. Let's finish up with the example of Jesus. Let's go to verse 21, 1 Peter 2, verse 21, and let's finish with the example of Jesus. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." This is the most important act of submission, submitting to God's way to go to heaven. Within our human nature, we want to make up our own way to, to go to heaven. It's called religion. We, we want to make our own plan. We want to make God in our image, not deal with the God as he is, but instead make God the way we're comfortable with him. And so the way to go to heaven is to submit to the path that God has made through the person of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
unless they come from me, through me. And so I urge you, wherever you are, call on the name of Jesus. Call on the way. Say, God, I submit to your plan of salvation. Oh, God, I submit to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I submit to the path that you have made for there to be a right relationship between God, a perfect God, and an imperfect me. Call on Jesus right now, wherever you are. Just call on his name. And all God's family said, wherever you are, amen.